Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. And as we spend time in it, again, that prayer is the same. Let us know you more. Speak to us. Shape us. Father, for those that might be in a place of discouragement, frustration, wandering this morning. Jesus, again, we pray, find us, pursue us, and cause us to realize, Lord, you have been there all along. Again, we pray that in your name. Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 12 uh, through 16, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Philippian church, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, if any thing you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I want to focus in here on the end of the opening verse there, verse 12, where uh, Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. We'll start there and then we'll continue through this, um, this passage. The first time I went to, to to church, um, to youth group. It was heading into my senior year uh, of high school and stepped into youth group and it was, as the message was, was playing out, it was one of those moments where it just felt like that the message was designed specifically for you. Those moments as if you were being read as, as that message, that sermon was being preached. And uh, again, I had never stepped foot uh, into a, a Christian church doors. And um, I grew up Catholic, but in theory, right? Like we would go, we'd get our ashes, and that was about it. It was never really a faith that I really embraced. Uh, so this was the first time I came with intentionality. This is the first time I came with, with uh, on my own. It wasn't with my family. And, and as the, the pastor is preaching, the youth pastor is preaching, he looks what feels like is right at me. And you got to know that I, I was the captain of, um, of our wrestling team in high school, and it was a big part of what my life was oriented around. And, and again, as so much of the message felt like it was pointed right at me, he he, he's saying it to everybody in general, and he says, something's got you in a wrestling hold, and you're not coming closer to God. And I was just in that moment, I was, like, just stunned, like, paralyzed. What in the world's happening right now? What's taking place uh, here? And, and, and I was invited by a friend, um, and I looked over at him, and, and I said, you told him that I was coming. This is, this is what his response was. He laughed at me. He just laughed at me, and he just said, God got you. That was his response. God got you. As Paul writes here to us, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me 
his own. Foundationally, where we have to make sure that we're starting is this place of recognizing God got us. God captured us. He has made us his own. And so what you're not going to hear this morning is, is uh, looking at in this place of saying that we're then earning um, the ability. We're not, we're, not, we're not earning our place in God's embrace. Right? That's, that's not what's being communicated here from the Apostle Paul, that it's some way that we have to strive, and we have to keep on pressing forward so that God might be pleased with us, or that we might be able to get our arms around the Lord. But there is this place of him recognizing that there is effort to be in a place where we might be able to better embrace all that God has already embraced for us. To be better, again, attuned to who he is and all that, all that he is and, and all that he has done for us. There's this parable that Jesus tells and this parable that he tells is about a man that comes into a field, and when he comes into a field, he discovers that there's a treasure that's there. And then what he does with joy, with joy, he, he hides that treasure again, and he goes and he sells all that he has, and then he, and then he buys that field so that treasure might be his own, right? And as Jesus tells this story, so many, for, for so long people have looked at this and have, have, have rightly reflected on it, and they're saying, what does that mean? As, what's, what's the... What is Jesus trying to communicate to us in this parable? He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. I, I think that there's two ways to look at this, this parable. One is that that man that sold everything so that he might have that field and that treasure that's within it, that man is Jesus. That Jesus is the one that has come and he is he's, he's the one that's found us. He's the one that has given everything. Just like we read in, in earlier in Philippians chapter 2, that he emptied himself. And that we, we're that treasure. We're, the, we're, we're now his. He's given everything for us. But there's another way that you might view this parable, and, and a lot have viewed it this way, in which we're the man in that field, and we've come across, we've come along and, and discovered the kingdom of God, and we willingly let go of everything else so that we might be able to better embrace and get our arms around Jesus, his people, this kingdom. And honestly, I think there's space for both. I think what, what it is is that the kingdom of heaven has this texture to it. The kingdom of heaven has this way about it, and it's first demonstrated in Jesus. That Jesus has given up everything so that he might be able to embrace us. And our response to what we have seen demonstrated in Jesus is to emulate that that our response is to see that he has given up everything and that we are going to do the same thing. We are going to follow him in the ways that he empties himself. And so that's the movement of the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God is like a people that willingly let go and surrender all else so that they might be able to get their arms around this kingdom, to embrace it, to fully, better fully live into it. I think that's this invitation of, of exploration, of effort and delight. It's this invitation that says, continue, you get to continue over the course of your life to learn what it is to get your arms around Jesus. To be in a constant effort to getting to know him more, to understand his ways, to understand his nature, who he is, and better live into that. We are born into our Father's arms because of the work of Jesus. I just stop and I rewind to that moment of first holding my boys, seeing them so tiny. Now we've all done that when we've seen a newborn. Look at the size of their feet, <laughs> right? You just measure them, they're so tiny. They're so small, and their little hand, like next to yours, just a little body that, that, that's there. And, and one of the, the beautiful things that happens when you're holding a baby is so often is the, what the baby will do is they'll put their little tiny hand around your finger. And, and that's, the, that's the picture that I get here in this passage. That our Father has gotten a hold of us. His arms easily wrap around us. His arms are e easily embrace us. He has gotten a hold of us. God got you. And we, we just start in that small little space of getting our, our hands just around his pinky. And with my boys... Our days are filled with wrestling. Our days are filled with tumbling, rolling around with one another. I jump in our little tiny pool in our backyard, and everything that they want to do is they, they call it shark attack and orca, and just like they just want to make me to, to jump on them. I oblige. But here's the thing, I can still get my fingers all the way around my five-year-old's whole bicep. And so much of his play is learning to get his arms around me. So much of his play is like, I can, dad, he'll grab my leg and try to pick me up. I can, I can pick you up a little bit, right? Like, and it's, but it's this play, it's this effort, it's this delight, it's this joy, it's this exploration, it's this recognition. I'm getting bigger. And that's the invitation here that Paul brings us into. God has got you. There's no effort needed on, on him to, to be able to get his arms around you. But you are growing in your ability to understand who he is and get your arms around him. And it started in the smallest way. And it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. 
Christ has given all for us. And his affection and his focus never wavers. He does not sleep, nor does he slumber, right? His eyes are always upon us. His attention is beautifully and perfectly always upon us, and we're learning to focus on him. To lay down what was and learn more and more to embrace who he is. I love that the Apostle Paul, in the midst of this, just recognizes, I'm not there yet. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know about you, but right, it's that place of recognizing, actually, the closer that I get to him, the, the, the farther away from him I realized I was. The more, I, like, the, the more that I see him and understand who he is, the more I realize I'm nothing like him. It's actually one of the places of Scripture that talks about that his ways are not like our ways. That it's in the context of how much God demonstrates, demonstrates mercy and goodness. That here is a God that is just constantly acting in mercy and grace and goodness. And it's in that place where the, the writer recognizes his ways are not like our ways. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like Jesus, the more I realize I am not like Jesus. And the more mature I become in Christ, the more I realize I'm really immature. And so Paul recognizes and worded, I guess, my own way is to say that Christian ma maturity acknowledges immaturity. It's kind of like humility. The moment that you say you have it, you've lost it. <laughs> but the more you look ahead toward who Christ is, where he's leading us and how he is shaping us, the more of the past of who you were, you have to let go. And so Paul's in this place of saying, like, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm, I'm learning to unlearn what was be in a place of saying, like, I'm, I'm in formation. Can I just really quick as a side note say, I'm, I'm learning more and more to say, I don't know. I don't know. Your boys will ask me, like, can we do this? Can we do that? And I genuinely say, like, maybe or I don't know. And I'm not just using that, like, the way that our parents have used that. Like, maybe really means no. Like we know that, right? Your parent, your kid comes to you, can we do this? Maybe. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, right? But I'm learning to actually say that. Like, I don't know, and maybe, because I actually want to stop and process. Because I want to stop and evaluate. Like, maybe we can have ice cream at 3 p.m. right now, right? Like, that's okay. Why not? <laughs> but actually stop and to work through that. And as a pastor, 
I'm learning to say, I don't know, sometimes. Right? Like, hey, what's your view on this highly debated theological issue that the church hasn't been able to, like, find absolute resolution on over the past 2,000 years? Vince, what's your opinion? <laughs> yeah, let me give you the exact answer right now. No, I'm learning to be like, I, I'm figuring that out. I just believe that if the body of Christ were better to navigate in that place of nuance and tension and saying we don't have it all figured out, we might get along better. Because how many issues have we spoke in conclusions together with? Rather than being in process with one another and saying, hey, you know what? It might be the case that our camp isn't right on every single issue. And maybe it's okay to be filled with this place of grace and generosity and mercy and understanding with one another where we'll be able to stop and to be able to say, I'm in process. I don't have it all figured out. We're not fully mature. We don't have it all figured out. And I think with that kind of posture, we will, might operate with just a little bit more grace and understanding with one another. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the incredibly powerful church planter, apostle, pastor, mentor, is confessing to the church, I don't have it all figured out. That he's learning to let go of what was. The old pattern of thinking. The old pattern of living is still being worked out of him. You remember what he just said in the previous verses? This is what he just said. He said, this is, he's talking about himself. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of this church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that from the law, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Ben Witherington, theologian and commentator on this passage, just simply said this, Paul is still in the process of deliberately forgetting the past. And so what is forgetting the past? It's saying that, 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 that we would recognize that there was a way of doing things. Like Paul's sitting there saying, this old way of doing things, it didn't work for me, but I have to acknowledge that I learned it. I operated out of that thinking for years. 
for the very informative years in my life. It was my education. It was during my child development. It was my college courses. It was my family interaction. It was the discussion of my teachers, my mentors, my heroes, my peers, and those that I was teaching. Paul was saying, this is, this is what my life was focused on. And I'm learning to forget that. You guys remember the old station wagons that had the back rear-facing seat? I'll pull them up on, on the screen for those of you that don't remember these. These bad boys. What an awkward seat. Because if you remember these seats, you, you'd be a kid and you're sitting right back here, and what are you looking at the entire time? The person that's driving right behind you. It's just this awkward place. This is an awkward place. You're just like staring, making awkward eye contact for miles and miles down the freeway with the person that's driving behind your family. And you know, as kids, you're making faces and you're waving and you're laughing at the people behind you. I, 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 wasn't, a, I wasn't driving at the time that these existed, so I didn't have the awkward space of looking at a kid as you're just driving down the freeway. But this is, this is a commentator. Someone reflecting on this from uh, the Center of Auto Safety. Clarence Ditlow from the Center for Auto Safety, the consumer advocacy group, said that he had been concerned for years about the safety of rear-facing third seats because the government did not conduct crash dummy tests that, st that simulate rear-end accidents. Among other questions, he said, are how much leg space there should be between the seat and the tailgate, and whether the window glass should be laminated as it is in front windshields. Facing backwards is a terrible place to be seated. It's a terrible place to be positioned in life. Forgetting the past doesn't mean that we don't inspect or reflect on what was. It doesn't mean that I'm new in Christ, I don't even have to worry about that which I just walked through. <laughs> That's not what's being said here. What's being said is that we actually have to be intentional about recognizing what was and the impact that it's had on us so that we can better run towards Jesus. That our, that our life's orientation is this place of saying, I have to learn to let go of what was. I actually have to stop and to recognize what was. And then be in a place where I might lay that down so that I can better run after Jesus. A couple months ago, a couple months ago, I ran with my shorts on backwards. It wasn't on purpose. At a certain point, it was on purpose because I didn't fix it, right? Like, I, I, I will confess that. But here's what happened. I, I, I got up in the morning, and I put my running shorts on, and I had my phone in my pocket, and, and I, was, I started, I stretched, and I, I was all ready to go. I had my playlist in, and, and, and I went, and I started jogging, and then I realized I can't get my phone into my pocket where I would normally put my phone into my pocket because my shorts are on backwards. 
and I'm like, I've already taken like 10 steps, I'm not gonna turn around. <laughs> that was literally the decision making process. So I ran with my phone in my hand because I had my shorts on backwards. The next morning, I forgot the past. And what I mean by that is I didn't act how I did yesterday. I put my shorts on the right way. I was intentional about it. I looked at my shorts and I triple checked and I made sure that they were on the correct way. And can I tell you what happened that day? I knocked 10 seconds off of my mile. <laughs> when Paul talks about forgetting what is past, he's saying, I'm learning to unlearn how I used to do it. I'm a work in progress. And I'm learning to evaluate what I'm holding on to that are either helping in my running or hurting my running. Is this helping my stride or is it hindering my stride? Can I tell you in this process of learning to, to run, I am in a constant mental exercise of evaluating how I'm running while I'm running. I, I have two routes that I take. I either go that way or I go that way. Right? And I, honestly, in the morning, I decide, am I going to go that route or am I going to go that route? And, and sometimes I take... I, I live next door, and sometimes I decide to go down uh, by City View Church, and I run down that hill, and that hill is a killer. It doesn't look like it, but it is terrible to get back up. But, but I can't make it all the way back up yet. I actually have to stop. And while I'm doing that, well, here's what I'm doing. I'm evaluating. Yesterday, I stopped at this stopping point. Tomorrow, can I stop at this stopping point? Can I catch my breather here? Did that work for me? No, it didn't work for me. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to stop right here. There's a dirt, little dirt path, and there's the street path. And I'm honestly, I'm running, and I'm constantly evaluating. Does this feel better on my legs, or does this feel better on my legs? How do I feel after this run? And it's this constant point of trying to figure out, is this working? Shoes are helpful. Headphones are helpful, but honestly, sometimes they aren't. Sometimes I just want to run in the quiet of the day, right? Like, and I'm evaluating the path, this loose gravel, that, that route has firmer uh, terrain, this route doesn't have dirt, this route has grass, and it's just constantly trying to figure out. I, I have a goal of running well. And Jesus is the object of my focus. I have a goal of following him well. And running towards him takes constant effort and evaluation. It takes constant points of reflection, of pausing, 
evaluating, determining. Are there weights that I'm holding on to here while I'm running towards him? Family patterns, unhealthy attitudes, fruits of the flesh, appetites, desires, that just like you constantly be in a place of saying, like, is this, is this helping or is this hindering? Because I want to forget what is past. So Paul writes, and he says that, not that I've already obtained this or are already perfect, right? but he says I'm, I'm pressing on to obtain. So what is, he, what is he talking about there? What is this perfection that he's reflecting upon? Another point in one of Paul's letters, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. five. He, speaking of Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A new life has begun. N.T. Wright simply said this. He says, you have to think into what it means to be new creation." They're in this constant place in this new life in Christ of growing in us, of our understanding of who Jesus is. Being in this place of saying it's more and more about imitating Jesus. It's about being in a place of living in wholeness and holiness. It's this recognition, we will never get there It will be a work that Christ fully brings us into on that day of resurrection. But in the the meantime, by the grace and the empowering of God's Spirit, we will learn to follow Jesus well. One of the pieces of advice I was given when I started picking up the habit of running was this. Run the same route. And then compete against yourself. So again, I have two routes. And I run a route, and the next morning I run that route again, and I just determine, did I run it better? And some, some days I just know it's just about finishing this route because there's no way I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. There are times when I'm running and my calf cramps up and I walk three quarters of the route. (laughs) But I run that route again. And I run that route again. And I run that route again. And listen, life is filled with routine. It's, It's filled with rhythms. It's filled with habits. It's 
filled with schedules, right? And our days are filled with running the same route, running the same places. But stopping and evaluating, can I run that route again, more focused on Jesus? Can I better reflect him today? Can I press on and might be able to better embrace and get my arms around who he is? Can I tell you one of the ways that I'm learning to do that? I'll bring it up on the screen. It's um, called Daily Prayer. And you'll see the app here. There's four points in the day, morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer. And if you want to go just mad bonkers, you could do a late evening prayer too. But all it is is just a point in which I'm just learning in the middle of my day to stop and to just, again, get my attention on Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be in this place of, of like, slowing down my schedule, of, of being in a place, like, where if I have five meetings stacked up, that I try to create little buffer zones so that I could just sit for a moment, catch my breath, and pray for the next person that I'm going to be gathering with. Because what I'm recognizing is that my morning devotionals are a great place for me to, to, to spend time with Jesus and get to know him. But what I realize is by 2, 3 p.m., I completely forgot what I read that morning. It's just this place of saying, can I, what I'm learning in this, again, doing the route over and over again, it's been it's really helpful for me to spread out little times with Jesus throughout my day. Just fill that with just some intentionality. Just spend time with him. Just be in his presence. If you go to the next slide and you'll see here's the example of the midday prayer. It's just this opening prayer. You take, take the next 120 seconds, two minutes, and just quiet your heart before the Lord. Ask God what he's doing and speaking to you today. Choose one of the following passages the scripture and just read through that and then here's the lord's prayer and under each one of the little sections of the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name and it says right here is a little insert thank god for who he is and his abundant faithfulness thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven the little insert there pray for god's rule to become a reality and then there's a closing prayer take the next 120 seconds and quiet your heart before the lord ask the lord how you should respond to the words he has given to you this afternoon through his spirit, and through his scripture. Why? Because what I'm finding again is in this route of pursuing Jesus and running each day, I do need to stop and to evaluate throughout my day. Because I have a goal. I have a goal of running well. And I hope, again, I, I mean, well, let me just say it this way. I have a goal for us as a community. That we would run our days well. That we would be a people that would follow Jesus well. So that when we interact with the world around us and when the world around us interacts with us, that they would come across a people who have 
who've made it a goal and a priority of their lives to reflect and imitate who Jesus is. The world might come across a people who have been seized by the love of Jesus and, and are determined to better embrace him. I, when I see this statement here from the Apostle Paul, man, this is a statement of hope. This is a statement where he is coming to us, and this is recognition that, listen, God is doing a good thing. He is doing a new thing. And now we have this opportunity to run towards him. That we could be a people that has this recognition. Life can be more healthy. We can see a breaking of old patterns. Life can be filled with rest and joy. It could be filled with life-giving relationships. It could be filled with someone that, with a heart that delights in God and delights in others. Like this is what life can look like. Can look like a people who are learning to let go of the old ways of doing things and embracing Jesus. I just, again, thank God that Paul spurs us on. Keep on running, church. Keep on after him. Keep on pursuing him. Hey, why, why would Paul tell us that we can actually to, to keep on in pursuing Jesus if it isn't something that actually could take traction in our lives? This, is, this, this picture and this recognition, like, this is attainable. Not that we'll ever reach that place of perfection, but this is doable. Like, we can be a people that run after Jesus. And, and imitate him well in the world around us. Pastor Brittany, if you come back up, church, let's enter into prayer. Jesus, we press on towards you. Our desire, our hope, Our posture this morning is to say, Jesus, we want to be after you. We want to pursue you with all that we are and all that we have. So Jesus, I just pray, would we delight in you this morning? Would again we get a glimpse of your goodness, your love, your joy for us. Win us over. Capture our hearts. And Jesus, I pray that you would stir something within us, ignite within us a desire to run after you. Jesus, create within us a new appetite 
Jesus, we pray, give us this desire. Plant this desire within our hearts to want to know you, to want to be with you, to want to sit in your presence. Awaken our hearts to you, Jesus. For those of us that, Lord, are in a place of feeling disconnected, discouraged, frustrated, Jesus, do a work of healing. Jesus, you can bring a valley of dry bones back to life. You can cause the most hard and callous hearts to become a heart of flesh. I pray that you would do that good work this morning. Begin to make our hearts beat again for you. Again, Lord, create within us an appetite for your presence. And the more that we spend time with you, that that appetite would just begin to get bigger and bigger. Create within us a hunger and a desire for you. And lead us in the path of everlasting. 